Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over there and start using it now. Earners, what's up? Look, I wanna give y'all a little peek behind the curtain of producing Earn Your Leisure. It's a lot more than just sitting down and chatting. It involves meticulous planning, recording, editing, and then promoting each episode to ensure it reaches all of you. And if you picked up any of our merch, then you know there's a whole extra layer of logistics from inventory management to shipping. Running a podcast is like running a small business. And speaking of business, I know many of you entrepreneurs are involved in e-commerce. You understand how crucial it is to streamline operations and cut costs wherever possible. That's why I want to talk to you about ShipStation, the multi-carrier shipping solution that integrates seamlessly with all your online sales channels. It's all about optimizing your shipping, connecting with expert partners, and freeing up more of your time to focus on scaling your business. Now let's talk about our experience with ShipStation. This tool has been a game changer for us, especially with automating routine tasks. Being able to manage everything from one dashboard and print shipping labels with just a click absolute lifesavers. Plus, the discounts we get on shipping costs are incredible. Honestly, it feels like we're saving thousands. And as our show and merch sales have grown, ShipStation's robust automation and reporting features have helped us keep up without missing a beat. For those of you who get overwhelmed by order volumes, ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard is a dream come true. You can import orders from any sales channel, apply shipping preferences automatically, and handle customer service issues right there. Not to mention the savings with up to 89% off carrier rates like UPS, DHL Express, and USPS. It's no wonder over 130,000 companies stick with ShipStation long-term. So, are you ready to turn your shipping challenges into growth opportunities? Head over to ShipStation.com and use promo code EARN for a free 60-day trial. Again, that's ShipStation.com, promo code EARN. Start streamlining your shipping and scaling your business today. So banks make money by investing other people's money, right? Yeah. Essentially. Um, and they invest the money in- Loaning it out. 
That's basically it. They take your deposits, they loan it out, live on the spread primarily. So what is you guys um investment strategy or what 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 do you guys invest the, the consumers money in so it's not a, it's not about necessarily investing at the at the holding company level any investment we make has to be approved by the federal regulatory bodies uh there will be opportunities to do that and i do think that some of the work that we talked that we just talked about in fintechs i think it's appropriate for us to look at figuring out how do we spark more innovation in the fintech space so that we can close that ecosystem. So investing in technology and in businesses that are in that space would make a lot of sense for us. But what makes the the technology we're talking about is you have to be able to, in a post-COVID world where you know nobody's walking in a bank to do anything right now, unless you just have to, we have yeah. to be able to create a concierge level of banking so that right now where you're sitting at, wherever you are right now, if you decide that, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and buy this second house in New Orleans. Um, I need to just figure this out. We have to provide the concierge level of banking so you don't feel like you're on your own. That technology needs to be seamless, but it still has to have real people working with you. Only 4% of African-Americans use small business administration loans, and that's government guaranteed loans. That's the easiest way of of getting loans for businesses that have a hard time in in the debt field. Only 4%. And I used to I was at SBA. Y'all know I was the regional administrator for SBA for the Southeast United States. At the end of the day, that's that is one of the biggest tragedies we have out here because we're not getting access to these resources. But I get why people don't do it. It seems like a headache. Nobody wants to deal with it. You have to create what what, what JP Morgan gives a 50 million dollar customer is what we give a fifty thousand dollar customer at redemption. That level of hand holding, working with you every step of the way to make sure you get access to the products and services. So what we invest in is like we take these deposits that people that these big corporations are giving us, and then we turn them into loans and opportunities. Whether it's your home loan, your business loan, your faith based organization loan, we create debt based opportunities. And when it comes to investing, it is critically important for us to look at investing at any business that closes the racial wealth gap. And secures the ecosystem for black wealth. If anybody's in that space, then absolutely that's something redemption should be looking at investing in. So the, the numbers are staggering, right? Like you said, in the 60s, there's 135 black banks by the early 2000s, dot-com bubble we're down to 47. Today we're roughly about 16 to 17 of those banks. However, inside of that 16 to 17, I don't know how many of them manage over a billion dollars, right? So when we're t- there's one. <laughs> yeah. There's one that manages over a billion dollars. How do we get the clientele, the corporate accounts, the customers with that high net value to be uh, part of uh, Redemption Bank? Like, what's the marketing plan? What's the strategy to make sure we're getting this type of clientele so that we have enough money to now lend out to our community? Yeah. So just a a little bit about how this banking works, man. At the end of the day, um, because a lot of these banks are in low to moderate income areas, regulators look at their loans and say, they're risky. And now, honestly, historically, this has been deemed as, as racist in, in, in many aspects. Um, they grade out every loan. And we've seen I've talked to black bank presidents that would tell me I got regulators coming in here grading my loans for a barbershop as risky when these people have never missed a loan. They paid on time. They've done everything I've asked them to do. But because they're in this neighborhood, they get they get treated as though it's risky. And what that means is if that loans for one hundred thousand dollars, then the regulator tells that bank, you need to keep one hundred thousand dollars of cash in your reserves because that loan may go under. Now, what, what that means is that you got to keep that one hundred thousand dollars and it's not on the street making money anymore. 
You got to yeah. hold. It. You got to hold it. So what we do to get around that, what we're going to be able to do is say, look, you know, we're going to cast a wider net. See, most black banks are CDFIs. They're highly concentrated in cities, in, in regional areas. We're choosing not to be a CDFI because, you know, unfortunately, CDFIs are too often equated to nonprofits and they have all these restrictions. Don't get me wrong. They do the really hard work. They're mission driven. However, not taking that label and just being a straight up bank, you get an opportunity to play across the country. You get an opportunity to recruit across the country. And this bank was built by black entrepreneurs. And I think that's the biggest difference. Having a bank that 85 percent of our black investors are entrepreneurs, doctors, lawyers, uh, you know, hedge fund folks, private equity people. We got one pitch. Let's build a bank we actually use. That's simple. Yeah. Let's build a bank that you, me, and everybody who wants to bank black will actually use. Now, we can all have a conversation about why we don't bank black now, and we know what those reasons are. Well, let's alleviate those reasons by creating a bank that gives me the service I need and the access to credit I need, how I need it to make sure yeah. my business can grow. If we can do that, then naturally, I believe that black people will support black owned banks. But if you can't, you can't make that up. You got to show up with the services. We don't we don't give each other a pass. How many how many of us got black bank cards in our wallet but may not even use them? And then there was a study at Stanford a while back that showed that 64 percent of black people said they would automatically go move to a black bank if they felt they got the services that they could get at a white bank. We got to beat that threshold. We have to be able to be competitive even to get our own people's support. And that's fine. I'm okay with it. I'm not afraid of competing. That's exactly why we're doing this in Utah. So we can have access to the resources and a regulatory environment so that we can compete. I don't want you coming to me just because I'm black. I want you to come because I'm the best at what I do. And you believe in what we're doing because we want to be the best for us. I think over the last 20 years, banks have been in a crisis. This year, mid-sized and small banks have been falling apart on a publicly traded market. What are some of those services that people need? And what do you think banks can do better if i'm being honest to have our trust because when, when i talk about a lot of banking stocks on the show not many people say that they trust banks and for a multitude of reasons can you address like what you're going to do to build those kind of relations where they do trust and then what do you think some of those services that people will need to make us want to bank with you you know the the distrust of african americans and the banks have has been since the uh since right after the civil war w du bois said it the best when the Freedmen's Bureau, which was created for free people, ended up being a Ponzi scam and deleting 90 percent of all black wealth when that bank closed, nobody got a refund. Nobody got an IOU. It was just gone. W.E.B. Du Bois said it would have been better off if we had remained slaves for another decade than to suffer the ramifications psychologically of losing all of our money in a federal bank that the government created. And we are the children of that distrust. We're still here and the distrust is still real. So it starts with the fact of who's running the bank. Can you put faith in these people that run the bank? And then two, when it comes down to making a decision, I know we got laws that supposedly say it's anti-discriminatory. You should not use race in a negative way, but the numbers are the numbers. We have to be able to think outside the box because I'm going to tell you right now, as long as we rely on credit scores in this country as a primary indicator of who is worthy of owning anything or getting access to credit, we will fundamentally yep. have a racist system. So the yep. future of banking has to be around looking at people more than a credit score. The future of banking has to be able to see people from cash flow. And you and I, you and I know we're dealing with black entrepreneurs. 90% of us are sole entrepreneurs. And a lot of them just go straight cash because they don't, for the exact reasons, they'd rather just be a cash-based business than go into debt. But that doesn't mean they're not yeah. good at what they're doing. They're actually slowing themselves down by not leveraging credit. But if we could go to them and, and show them, look, 
the decisions will be based off of more than this algorithm. And that algorithm that Experian, Equifax and TransUnion put out there says that 50 percent of black people shouldn't be trusted. That's what it says. And so any system that possibly could believe that 50 percent of us should be trusted to get a loan, that system shouldn't be trusted. So we must be at the forefront, all of us who are in this space and moving our people away from these antiquated algorithms that talk about credit scoring in a way that limits our ability to have full access to this capitalist economy. So, OK, when Dr. Martin Luther King died, you said there was 120 banks, right? Black 100, banks? 135. 135? Yep. And now there's 20. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty disturbing. So, A, how come that isn't something that people have um, talked about a lot? And why has that drastic, because I mean, at this point, there's probably going to be zero. If this trend continues in the next exactly. 30 years, there's not going to be any any Black-owned banks at all. So yeah. what is the root cause for the, for the collapse of Black banks? And why hasn't anybody really been championing that? Look. In, in that, that's a great question. Um, a dear friend of ours, uh, Mersa, uh, wrote the book Color of Money. If you want to, if you're out here right now, you want to read the history of all this, the color of money, black banks and closing the racial wealth gap, take a look at it, give her a shout out. She, she did an amazing book there. But let me give you some, some personal history here. My family started a black bank in 1936 in Georgia, South Georgia, Baker Byronville. This bank was started by my great great grandfather and, and his brother in law. And it was built for the fact of they wanted to create a bank that could uh, finance sharecroppers to buy the land that they were sharecropping on because everybody knew that when slaves left and started sharecropping, that 10 percent was just a way to stay alive long enough to keep working. But we created a bank that could finance them buying the land that they were formerly slaves on. And these sharecroppers could go and create prosperous lives. And it worked. Now, that bank ran from 1934. And in 1934, there was about 180 black banks. There There was a tremendous amount of black banks. We went out. uh, We lost that bank in 1976. We lost that bank in 76 because the American economy declined right after the Vietnam War. Everything was economically trash. Really a lot of hints of where we are right now. But we were forced. We were forced out. It wasn't like we just closed because we didn't have business. The bank closed because regulators were over regulating black banks and not giving us the same treatment as they were giving white banks. The regulators at the end of the day are the police. At the end of the day, they are the police of the industry. And we all know policing is different in different neighborhoods. Yeah. In our neighborhood, or the black banking neighborhood, traditionally those regulators have been harder on black banks, not making them have the capital requirements that white banks had and forcing us into situations where ultimately my family's bank was forced to auction. Not because we were making money. We got forced to auction, like literally auctioned off. And we know what that looks like in the deep south, right? And ultimately, that our black bank was auctioned off and got rolled up into what we call now PNC Bank. That's the story of America. So your, your bank got turned into PNC Bank? Right. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 